Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. This podcast is produced on Anchor, where you can record, edit, and publish all from your smartphone. You can find the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast platforms. Stepping to the batter's box. Welcome and thank you for joining me on the latest episode of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, and this is going to be a good one. This guy has gotten more free plugs on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast than anybody in the history of the podcast, and hundreds to, I might even say, thousands of athletes in the Dubuque area meet with him regularly. And we are in for a treat today. We have Michael Zawiefel from BBA, also known as Building Better Athletes. And I can tell you just by looking at him through Zoom how proud he is of the work that the athletes are doing. I see we have Tommy Speck signed in the background. We have his uh, Calvin Harris signed in the background. We have his college degree, what we're going to get into later. And we also have his um, Green Bay Packers jersey in the background as well. So, Michael, I'm going to give you a proper introduction here that I got from your website and your Twitter page. Michael Zawiefel is a performance coach. NCAA record holder, short-lived NFL career, owner of Building Better Athletes, Michael Zawiefel. Welcome to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Nick, appreciate you having me on, man. I'm excited for this and excited to chat. This is going to be a ton of fun. I, I want to start off with a lighthearted question here. I read Calvin Harris's recent article in the TH by Jim Leitner, and I'm going to quote Jim Leitner here. In addition to training locally under former MLB catcher Eric Munson and strength and conditioning icon Michael Zawiefel. Now, what gives you that icon status that Jim Leitner gave you there in that article? Uh, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know what that one's all about. Uh, I, I clearly told Jim that I was a strength conditioning legend, not icon. So I don't know where he got icon. To be honest with you, so, a little disappointed in that one. But <laughs> no, in all honesty, um, not sure. I don't. I don't ever classify myself as that. But it's been, you know, we've had a, an opportunity to work with a lot of good athletes over the last almost close to a decade now, and so, um, you know, kind of kind of unique to see that, and kind of strange to be honest with you. But um, I guess I guess we'll take it. You know, Jim is great at promoting local businesses, local teams, local players. So he probably just wanted to uh, pump Dubuque, promote Dubuque a little bit better. I didn't know if maybe he had slipped you some money under the table or if you have some incriminating evidence or pictures or emails of Jim. So he uh, he gives you that icon status. I, I wasn't sure. But in all seriousness, Michael, I do want to talk about your educational background, 
your work experience such as jobs or internships that have helped shape your beliefs and philosophies when you work with athletes? I guess we'll start with education. Um, I have an undergrad in health, wellness, and recreation from the University of Duke and a master's degree from the University of Texas at Tyler in kinesiology. Um, During my master's, I have... I think we have up to now three published, like scientific published papers. We've worked on just different experimental studies on the human body, on training. Um, so I, I'm really a big fan of science, and, and that's something that I'm pretty passionate about, and it really drives a lot of my practice is, is being in touch with the literature because there is a, a lot of literature on uh, kind of scientific principles and practices of, of working with athletes from different sports for different goals. Um, during my undergrad, I did an internship at the University of Minnesota, so I worked with their baseball team. I worked with all the teams up there at the University of Minnesota. And then, you know, I have a pretty, developed a pretty good web and network of, of coaches locally and kind of nationally around the country that, you know, bounce ideas off of. Um, and even in my day-to-day, you know, work, I just earlier this morning, uh, Andrew Redman was in. Uh, you know, he's back with Clark now, and, and, you know, the last five years working with him at Clark, you know, he's, again, another very cerebral coach and also athlete uh shit this weekend he threw 100, 154 pitches and in a semi-pro camp he came in and i go what the red what are you doing he's like i didn't even feel bad you know I just threw 150 pitches like what in the heck but you know having the coaches like that locally and also you know in my network to bounce ideas off of to you know uh, you know have these small kind of chats daily really helps for, your, for my growth and helps get back to our athletes I was going to ask you if Red was in there to pick your brain or if he was in there to have you sew his arm back on because he recently just did throw 142 pitches in a semi-pro game. Now, I would say that Jim gave you that icon status because you are not just local. Um, People know you all over the country. People know what you've done all over the country, and you do have a great network that you've built but what are your philosophies when you are working with athletes? What are some of the things that you truly believe in that helps them become uh, better athletes? First and foremost, you treat the, the person first. Because before they're an athlete, they're a human being, they're a person. So try to treat the person, understand and know the person, their goals, their objectives, you know, what you know, motivates them, what drives them. Um, and we, what we do in our facilities, we treat and we program for all of our athletes individually. So it's not just like, you know, here's the workout for the day, whether you're a freshman or senior, whether you play baseball or whether you play basketball or, or swimming, here's the workout, which you see a lot of in a lot of places. We, we individually program for all of our athletes. And I think our athletes see that. And, and that's for me, that's the best way that I think the, the most optimal way to get the most optimal results for all of our individual athletes is that we, we treat them as the person. Uh, we treat them as the athlete, the position, their sport their past injury history, their strengths, their weaknesses. We take, we take into account all that information to put together a very specific and individualized program for them. So first and foremost is treating the athlete in that regard, is understanding that you, you can't just, it's not, there's, <clears throat> there's not one exercise that's best for every athlete. There's not one exercise program. It's, you know, it doesn't matter what the University of Iowa or the New York Yankees are doing with their athletes. Those aren't my athletes. The major thing that we try to address is that we have to approach all of our programs and working with our athletes from an individualistic manner um again addressing their specific needs and not some you know a global program that you may find on the internet we address all of our athletes individually the second thing that we try to understand and appreciate is that we're working with middle school and high school athletes 
And I think the last study that came up by the NCAA, I think it was 6% of high school athletes go on to play college sports. And so we have to understand the population in front of us, while they do um, strive to play at varsity in high school or play college and beyond, we have to understand that, you know, I want to make our environment fun, engaging, memorable, um, something where they feel safe. Those things are important to me much more than this kind of high performance that we're trying to eke out every last inch of performance from this, say, a middle school or high school kid. We understand the population in front of us are young, you know, maturing athletes, and they just want to be engaged. They want to have fun. Um, and we have to understand that their goals for most of those athletes aren't to play college, aren't to play professionally. So we have to understand that as well. Um, so for me, it's address the individual and be, I want a fun, engaging, memorable um, environment where we're trying to educate our athletes and the last one, like I said, there be educating our athletes beyond the hour or hour and a half that they're with me. Again, my athletes are with me maybe an hour, hour and a half a day for you know anywhere from two to four days a week. Well, what are they doing those other twenty-three hours a day? Because that's going to be a heck of a lot more important than the hours they're with me. So we're trying to educate them, trying to again find what motivates and drive them to take you know ownership and accountability for those other twenty-three hours, from, from nutrition to sleep to rest and recovery to soft tissue. They control all those things. And so getting them to hopefully uh, develop some better habits and behaviors those other 23 hours is really going to make a huge difference because, again, one hour a day, while important in a training facility or in practice, the other 22, 23 hours of the day are going to trump that one hour if they're not taking care of it. The one thing I picked out that you said that I really liked is it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So if you have... Michael Duax basketball standout come and working out with Calvin Harris baseball standout you're not having them do the same exact thing you you cater it to them and when I when I do my podcast what I do is I reach out to many people schedule a whole bunch of interviews do a whole bunch of interviews at once and I always ask who are some people that you would like to see interviewed and you are always on that list of people saying you have to have Michael Zawifel on. He is fantastic with our son or our daughter and I have never heard a single bad thing about you. So you you are doing things well there. Now I do want to talk about BBA's resume. You've worked with eight NFL players, three Gatorade State Players of the Year, 21 state champions, 21 college All-Americans, 29 conference players of the year, 33 Division I athletes, and 234 all-conference athletes. And I would like to say that that number is counting. Now, my follow-up question with your resume, I believe you already touched on a little bit, but in case you may have missed something, if you had to pinpoint three major aspects of being a successful athlete, what do you think those would be? Yeah, great, great question. Um, you know, one, again, kind of like I talked, talked about earlier would be kind of, uh, what I found is athletes that take some ownership and accountability for their performance, for the nutrition, for the sleep recovery. That's number one. They're, they're not making excuses. Uh, they take complete and utter ownership of all 24 hours of the day and what they do in those 24 hours because they know that there's that they only control a few things in, in, in this life. And so whatever you control, maximize that 24 hours. And that's what I found some of the best athletes do. That'd be the first and foremost. 
Um, two would be that they really get they get uncomfortable. So they're they're willing to be coached. They're willing to get uncomfortable. And in our facility, we we do push our athletes. I do challenge our athletes. I try to make them uncomfortable because that is the reality of sport. You're going to be under stress, pressure, anxiety, fatigue. Those are uncomfortable things to be able to perform on with people watching, with people judging you. That that so you have to be really. Um, comfortable being uncomfortable. So we talked about our athletes a lot of that, being, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Um, the last thing would be, you know, third thing that I found with athletes is they, they really enjoy, they actually enjoy the process. They, in, they enjoy what you could, you know, quote unquote, the grind. They enjoy the hours. They enjoy, um, you know, this mindset of I'm doing this and I know my competition. I know no one else is doing this as well. They enjoy that process of, Hey, I might not see results today or tomorrow, but I'm in it for the long term. I'm in it for next year, next you know, next month, next year, two years on the road. They they understand that long game. They love and enjoy. They actually enjoy that process of of competing, of working hard, of that slow incremental uh, progression of getting better and better each and every day. Now, in college, you were an NCAA record holder for most receptions in a college career. I want to thank your dad, Stan, because I am a proud University of Dubuque Spartan alum. And holy cow, did I have to sit through a lot of awful football games when I was at the University of Dubuque. So I'd like to thank your dad and his coaching staff and the players that he's bringing in for turning that program around. Now, when you look at your career and you look at your body, what did you do with your body and your training to stay healthy for those four years to break that record? Because to break that record is something where you had to pretty much stay healthy and stay on the field for four years. So what did you do in order to get that accomplishment? Well, well, I actually didn't stay healthy all four years. I had a medical redshirt my, uh, my first senior year. So I actually played three games my first senior year, I uh, got injured or was injured at the start of the season and had to take a medical redshirt. But yes, like you said, I, I, other than that, that, uh, that season where I missed the back half of the season, yeah, I never missed a game. And that was one of those things where from a young age, you know, I was really, um, I, I loved the process of getting better. And I love that there's so many different ways that you can improve. And that was when like even high school, it was when I really started to like zone in on like nutrition for me was a huge thing. My nutrition was always intact. In, in and also then get, get into college was like sleep and taking care of yourself. Understanding having like a, a pretty steady habitual sleep schedule, uh, t- doing so, uh, you know soft tissue on myself, self-massage, stretching, flexibility, mobility work. So those other, what helped me be healthy for those four years for the most part was those, again, those other 23 hours, I said it earlier, but Again, really, for me, just really uh, trying to maximize those other 23 hours of the day because, you know, at the college level and as you go on beyond the college level, everyone works hard. Everyone's a really good athlete. So you have to find those those small edges and small ways that you can find an advantage on your competition. And so I always thought about you know, people think about, to say baseball, I'm going to get extra hacks. And I talked to some of my athletes is, you know, I want to get in the cage and get 500 swings a day or I want to get out and long toss two additional days a week. They, they try to find ways to improve that, like, are baseball-related. And I, I try to iterate to them that there's a lot of different ways you can find that edge. You can find that edge with your breakfast, your lunch, and your dinner, and your snacks, by your nutrition. You can find that edge by getting to bed an hour earlier. You can find that edge by spending a half an hour on the foam roller. 
you can find that edge in all these different areas that's not just getting into the cages and maybe adding this physical repetitive stress. There's different ways that you can actually find a competitive edge that doesn't, you know, uh, rely on, you know, more and more physical stress to the body. So that was where I really tried to maximize it, the mental component, the emotional component, the nutritional component, et cetera. And Michael, you are an NCAA record holder. Now, I'm curious. I was actually supposed to go to Georgia, the Atlanta area, in early June, but that trip got canceled. I was going to take a visit to the College Football Hall of Fame. Do you have any artifacts in the College Football Hall of Fame? If there's a convention where college football players and record holders are getting invited to, to speak at or to stand and get pictures with, do you get invited to those things? Do you have any art- artifacts at the College Football Hall of Fame or not? I, I've been, I haven't been to the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, I believe that my record-setting catch, the ball, is there, I think, in a jersey. I'm not quite sure. I know I I mean, this is 10 years ago. I think they were sent over there, so I think they're there. Uh, but, yeah, as part of the NCAA and another kind of national football foundation um, that is more academic, I know I get, you know, uh, yearly um, convention offers to go to. I've, I've never gone up into one of them, but um, there's, there's definitely things that we get offered to year in and year out. So I um, just haven't found the time to, to make one of those trips. That's awesome. If if that trip ever gets rescheduled and, and I go to the College Football Hall of Fame, I'll have to seek you out and, and send a picture to you. Now, your uh, BBA performance on Twitter, it states that you had a short-lived NFL career. What happened after college with football in the NFL? Yep. So after college, um, I actually graduated in uh, winter, so I had the, the spring to kind of prep and prepare for or uh, I didn't get invited to the NFL Combine, but uh, after the Combine, every university, major university, has pro days. So I went to Iowa State's pro day and I performed well. Um, we had a, a number of teams, you know, talking with them, interaction with them about where maybe in the possible draft or free agent might go, and it ended up uh, going to the Green Bay Packers, at, you know, after the draft. So it was with the Green Bay Packers, again, very short, short-lived uh, rookie camp OTAs, and then they uh, let me go during the OTA. So it was basically like two weeks up in Green Bay. Uh, my locker was, you know, a two down from Aaron Rodgers. Um, never got, you know, at that stage during rookie camp and OTAs, the veterans are typically doing um, their own workouts while the rookies are doing some other things. Then we come together as a big group, as a full team. It, it, Rodgers isn't throwing to us rookies and the low-level receivers. So I was, I was catching from the backups. But it was a really cool experience um, to see how – you just just see how a professional organization is run, how those athletes are t- you know taking care of themselves and approaching the game, um, all the different uh, nuances that go into a professional organization, um, all the different uh, amenities that they have available to athletes to, to get maximized performance. So it was a really, really great, cool opportunity. Um, I wish I would have had uh, – this was back in 2012. The Packers, I believe, were like two years off the Super Bowl. They, they were stacked at wideout. I, I knew there wasn't much of a chance for me. I would. Uh, I wish another team would have taken a chance. I would love to, to try. You know, have another opportunity with another team. But in the NFL, when that window closes on you, it closes. It's, it, it is. It is a business. That is one thing that stands out to me. Coming from a you know a you know medium sized high school in Wisconsin to playing you know, Division three ball, you know you're always in a smaller community. It's more of a, a family type environment. NFL, you get the NFL. It is strictly a business. And that, that even Green Bay, which is probably more of a family-run organization than most, you still get that 
uh, that feeling, that atmosphere that this is a business first. It's about numbers. Um, you're just, a, you're just like, you know, you know, every player is just kind of a, a peg on a board, you know? And so, um, it is a business. And once that window closes on that business, I can't do anything on my end to help get into that, that business. And so, um, when it's over is over. And, uh, um, I coached a year of football after that and played professionally actually overseas the following year for nine months, which was an awesome experience. Lived in Austria, Vienna, Austria, which is one of the, the greatest cities in the world. Get to travel Europe and play football. Um, so that was a wonderful experience and football has given me a lot in my life and uh, I'm pretty grateful for all the things that have come because of playing football. And that was with a team called the Vikings, correct? Yes, the Vienna Vikings. Yeah, I saw that and, and I was looking and I didn't know if it was an arena team or what. So thanks for, for clearing that up. Now, with the Green Bay Packers, were there any other teams that were looking to sign you after the draft ended and then when you got cut by the Packers, there were no other teams that were interested in you or it just kind of ended there? Yeah, before that, and to be honest with you, and it, well, I've had a number of athletes, probably close to a dozen now, that have gone through that process. And every it's, it's a strange process. Again, this is where the business of professional sports come, stands out. Going into the draft, and even on draft day, I'm getting calls from teams and free agents. And, and the Packers through this whole process were never, I was really never in uh, strong communication with them. I was definitely in uh, more communication with other teams like the Seahawks at that time, or the Ravens, the Texans. Um, the Vikings, um, the Chiefs, those are probably the five most, and those are probably the five most teams that I was talking to, um, a little bit with the Bears. And then at the draft day comes, and the, the Packers are the first team and the team to offer the best deal. And it's like, well, I was in contact with you guys during this whole process. And again, since then, you know, I've had, again, close to a dozen athletes go through this process, and it always tends to be the same. Like, all of a sudden, the team on draft day or as a free agent will, will you know, reach out, and it's like during this whole process, these guys weren't even involved, you know. So it's kind of strange how things behind the scenes, underneath the tables, you know, go go into these processes of, of guys finding them ways on the, on the teams from a free agent standpoint or from a rookie um, uh, signing standpoint. So um, yeah, Packers were probably the least team that I was that I in contact with, but when it mattered most, they were the team that uh, offered and offered the best deal. So that's where I went. Cool to hear that. I, I don't recall ever reading anything on that. So it's it's interesting to hear your process. It's also interesting in an episode that's already been released featuring Super Bowl champion Riley McCarron. It's interesting because he said he walked right into the facility and Tom Brady went out of his way, reached out his hand and said, welcome to New England, Riley. I'm Tom Brady. And Riley was just in, in shock how, yeah, I know who you are. I watch you on Sundays and where you never really had that that interaction with with Aaron Rodgers. Now, uh, we do need to talk about your facility. We want to get the information out to the listening audience. Tell us about your facility. Where Where is it located? Yep, um, I'm off of Cedar Cross on Hughes Court. Um, so right by kind of Clark's indoor facility and the new Casey's over there, right right behind there. And what um, yep, does, we're, we're about, I'm sorry, on, sorry Nick. I was going to um, yeah, ask you, what does uh, your facility offer to athletes? Yep. So we, we offer just uh, basically structured training sessions throughout the day. Right now in the summer, we have, uh, we're actually full, especially working out with the, the COVID-19. We have restrictions in terms of what we can, how many athletes we can uh, work with. And we're actually booked up the summer. 
as athletes are back in action, you know, we've been going in action now for about five weeks, but uh, we offer structured training sessions throughout now the summer morning and then afternoons. And so we work with different groups from youth, like elementary school age athletes. We have a middle school session and we have a high school session. Um, so we have a wide range of athletes um, in those sessions that we're working everything from speed and agility to the strength and power flexibility. And also like you touched upon earlier, addressing nutrition, sleep, recovery, all those different aspects. So we try to t- take like a 360 global approach to working with our athletes, but that's kind of a, a basic um, outline of how our, our programs are structured. Now, how about 38 year old balding hosts with receding hairlines? Do you work with uh, older people as well? Because we do have an older audience here at the Dubuque area baseball podcast. We actually do. We have a, we have a morning, uh, uh, we call them the adult ninjas. So adult we, we have ninjas, a lot of, okay. well, we have a lot of fun with them. They're, 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 they're good guys and girls. They come in the mornings or, or even one evening session and we work them just uh, just like our athletes. We, we work hard and have fun and uh, all the good stuff. It's, it's awesome you have a middle school group because I teach middle school and I do see a lot of BBA shirts at Roosevelt Middle School. A lot of kids um, going to your programs there. Now, what benefits do athletes get from training with you? Yeah, and the main ones that we try to focus on is obviously – we want the main goal for us is to see them have a performance gain in their sport. Um, we, I'm not again, we're probably seen more of as a, as a weight room or strength conditioning program, but I'm not really concerned about that. I'm not concerned about their lifting numbers or, you know, improving or the, you know, that kind of thing. I want to see what we work on actually transfer to their sport. So I want them to come back or even when we work with them to come back and say, I feel faster. I feel like I'm more fluid. I feel like I'm more, perceptually aware I feel I just feel better on the court on the field on the pitch whatever it may be so the main thing for us is we want our athletes to actually improve where it matters most to them and that's in their sport while a lot of weightlifting programs I think they're tend to focus on the improvement being in in the weight room which again that can be beneficial but that's not what athletes care about they don't really care about how much their bench or squat or deadlift go up if those things don't correlate to the game, it doesn't matter. So we want to see everything we do is to try to move that needle forward in their sport. So that's the first and foremost. We want our athletes to improve where it matters most, and that's in the sport. The second thing that we really try to address is improve. Again, I iterate a lot, and my athletes are probably tired of hearing me say it too, but the other 23 hours, the nutrition, the sleep, the recovery, soft tissue, because not a lot of people are doing those things, especially middle school, high school athletes. Not many middle school kids high school kids are really thinking about what they put in their bodies nutritionally. They're not thinking about what, what time they go to bed or what time they wake up or how many hours or the quality of those hours of sleep that they're getting. They're not thinking about, well, I have a little soreness here. Can I do anything for it? They're just going out and playing and then they're you know doing whatever. So having them be aware of all those different areas is the second main thing that we try to work on because those things, especially as they get older and the higher level of competitions, those things are what separate people. And that's what we try to iterate in all of our athletes that have really taken off to a high level, that are they're playing varsity uh, ball at a high level all, uh, all state or getting division offers, there's a common theme between all those athletes, and they have bought in 100% to those other areas. They know it's not just about my practice. It's not just about strength training because everyone does those things. It's about all those other little areas that not a lot of people are, are actually taking care of. And so those would be the, the two main ways that we want to uh, uh, influence uh, our athletes. And now to the layperson that 
has listened to this and has no idea what building better athletes is, is it a gym where you just show up and you're there or do you offer workout classes or is it a monthly membership that people participate in? And then what would the price range be to uh, either sign up for a class or, or get a membership or to take part in your program? Yeah. So we, we like I said earlier, we have just, we have strict train session, uh, times that start and, and stop at certain durations. So athletes uh, sign up for certain uh, one of our sessions. And so, again, we have a high school-oriented session, middle school-oriented session, middle, uh, elementary school-oriented session, um, and some combos within there. So athletes sign up for certain sessions that are run by myself or some other of my assistants or interns um, from start to finish through us. So it, it, is, it is instructed um, and, and uh, <clears throat> kind of organized from start to finish. So it's not just coming anytime you want, get a workout in. It's all structured from start to finish. And again, all of our athletes within that structure have kind of programs designed and made. I, I program all of our athlete uh, programs for our athletes that are specifically individualized to, to them. So they get an individual program with a folder, um, you know, a three-week sheet on it that we go through together. We see different ways we can progress or regress things. We we track different metrics to ensure that we're moving that needle forward. Um, so we all of our things are, are structured classes. Uh, we offer different things from. Uh, punch cards. So basically we started like $10 a session. So we're pretty inexpensive. Um, or we do like monthly memberships. We can come in two, three, four days a week, depending on what your availability is. So we're pretty flexible. We have a lot of different sessions offered throughout, throughout the day. We work with a lot of different athletes from young to old, from every sport you can think of, boys and girls. Um, so, we, we, you know, again, we, we try to work with as many different athletes as possible. Because as I was growing up, I would have loved something like this. Um, something that I would have wish I would have had growing up. So we try to provide that opportunity to as many young athletes as possible. And you have a great area because Dubuque is passionate about their athletes. They're passionate about their sports. Now, this is a baseball podcast, so I do want to steer toward baseball a little bit. Now, you have been with, I would say, Hall of Famer of the show, a favorite of mine who I had actually had never met until I interviewed him on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, Dan Spain, who's the head coach at Clark University since 2013 you've been with him as the head strength and conditioning coach. What workouts, nutrition tips, lifts do you find are most beneficial just for pitchers? Yeah, yeah. I want to uh, kind of piggyback what you said. Coach Spain is amazing. Been with him since he got the job. Yeah, back in 2013, and, and been an awesome ride um, to see the transformation of that program from then till now, being a national power now. And then what I love about Dan is we have you know pretty open relationship, and he kind of just lets me do my thing. And I, you know, I, he has a lot of trust in me, and I really appreciate that and respect that uh, that he allows me to to work with his athletes year in and year out and give me kind of the space and freedom to. To, to do what I do. Um, but yeah, working with the pitching staff now for the last, you know, going on eight years now almost. Um, again, we try to individualize things to our pitchers, but the reality is this, throwing the baseball, the jet, the shoulder joint, the glenohumeral joint goes through 6,000 degrees of rotation per second. It's the single fastest joint motion that our human body produces. So when you're talking about that and the athletes are doing this, anywhere from, you know, a reliever 20 times, to a starter, maybe up to 100 times a game, you there has to be some nuance. There has to be some detail in how you approach 
these athletes. You can't just go willy-nilly, let's just do bench press, no repression, and, and deadlift and power cleans and think that you're really going to address the specifics of throwing a baseball. Um, so knowing that you have to have a really good understanding of biomechanics and anatomy and also the physiology of, of what it takes thrown into goes into throwing a baseball in terms of the stresses that are placed upon the shoulder and the elbow. Exercises that we deem as probably not uh, optimal for our, our pitching or overhead athletes. Um, so again, we, we, we stay away from what might be deemed as some traditional based exercises like straight bar bench, straight bar overhead press, power clean, snatch, because we just think that the, the risk is not worth the reward of what we're looking for for our pitching athletes. And so we take a lot of uh, tedious thought and care into constructing our, our lifting programs in order to, A, keep our, our athletes healthy, and then also understand that, again, throwing a baseball or even hitting a baseball is a very rotationally de- uh, you know, a dominant ro- uh, movement. And so if we want to produce more power, more speed, more velocity, um, again, to transfer to the, those movements in sport, you have to actually have your program be based around those things. And so um, a lot of the exercises that we do with our, our baseball players are probably not necessarily what you might see in a traditional weight room setting because in our mind, in our view, a lot of those things are, are a little bit too dangerous for those athletes and the, the benefit isn't worth kind of the squeeze, if you would. Now, how about nutritional tips for any athlete out there? Yeah, nutritional tips. Uh, so I guess we'll start with, like we had our athletes in this morning. You know, the, the a couple main areas that we talk about, one being we, we, we talk about protein. So if you're an athlete, especially an adolescent, a young, growing athlete that's training hard, practicing hard, we have to understand what protein does for the body. And protein are made up of amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. But what they do is they help promote muscle growth. They repair um, and rebuild broken down tissue, you know, obviously muscle tissue. And so we have to understand that protein, we have to have adequate and quality protein in our diet to order to repair and rebuild kind of the broken down tissue that we're going to be um, breaking down during practice, during training. So we always talk about athletes about protein. Um, We usually strive for about one gram of protein per pound of body weight. So if an athlete weighs 150 pounds, we're striving for approximately 150 grams of protein per day. And then if they're not getting that, we, we, we're trying to get them nutrition strategies and interventions to help push that number closer to 150 because that's going to allow them to re- recover and repair um, muscle tissue. To, to, that's what how we re- make an adaptation and get stronger is by recovering and repairing from exercise or from training. The second one that's really tough for athletes is we talk about fruits and, and vegetables, trying to get you know anywhere from five to eight servings of fruits and vegetables a day because those things provide vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients that help keep our body healthy, help recovery, help fight up, fight off illness and sickness. Um, and if you do have some sort of things like like uh, inflammation, it helps kind of they have anti-inflammatory properties, so they help reduce inflammation and just help you recover and repair from from again the strenu- the strenuous activities of, of sport. Um, so those are the, those are the main two ways that we talk, talk about athletes. We like to keep it pretty simpler, simple with that. And then, you know, moving forward would be, you know, understanding that the majority of our food should come from um, unprocessed products. Um, we tell our athletes green face a lot of times, so green and face. So if you think about green, what do you think about, Nick? 
Usually I don't ever get questions asked, but I, I think of a pasture, I think of a farm, I think of vegetables when I think of green. Beautiful. Yeah, that's that's what we want. So you think of green, you think about fruits, vegetables, you think about things from a farm, etc. Yes, beautiful. So we think about all those foods. We want to eat as much and as often those foods as possible. Then face. What happens when you think about face? Face? Yeah. Shoot, I'm thinking I want a safe face and I want to look good for my wife and uh, I don't want to eat all that processed crap so I have a decent swimsuit body. That's one way to think about it. Absolutely, I like that. Um, <laughs> the other, the, what we talk about is anything that came from a face is, is good. So your, 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 your meats, your dairies, they, they came from an animal, they came from a face. So it's a simple reminder, green face. So anytime you're approaching a meal, we talk to our athletes, have something that's green, so whether it be a fruit or vegetable, and it has something that came from a, something that had a face. So meat, uh, a dairy, eggs, uh, milk, those type of things. Those, those are what we try to address with our athletes because those are the foods that they can provide us with, again, green, the fruits and vegetables, the vitamins, the minerals that our athletes are usually lacking. And then face is usually going to be the high-protein, quality fats that we want from uh, those animal-type products. So are you telling me my microwavable beef and bean burritos that I ate before this podcast probably weren't the best thing for my summer bod? Probably not, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going back to Greenface, if you can't grow it or you can't kill it, it's probably best to avoid it as much as possible. Obviously, we, we want our athletes to um, have some lenience and, and understand that you know having ice cream and uh, things like that every once in a while is fine. Um, that we don't want to be restricted in that manner, but, um, understand that what you, what you put in your body is fuel. And so we say junk in equals junk out. You put crap in your body, you're going to feel like crap and you're going to perform like crap. So the higher quality fuel, and that's food, the higher quality of food and fuel you put in your body, the higher performance you're going to have both in the, in the academic or excuse me, the athletic fields, but also the classrooms, um, and whether it be the music, the arts, et cetera. Now, being a strength and conditioning coach, are the workouts and lifts different for infielders compared to outfielders? I know you said that you like to individualize for the athlete in your business, but when you're working with a baseball team or Clark University, are, are those different between the positions? So if it was from pitchers to position players, yes. Uh, position players, players to catchers, yes. Um, from position players, infield versus outfield, uh, yes and no. So I'm typically going to have middle infielders, and they'll have like their own kind of type of program. Corner infielders, so your first baseman and third baseman, tend to be bigger guys that don't have to move quite as much, more reliant on power. They're going to have something that's going to be a little bit different than middle infielders. And outfielders will probably have something a little bit more similar as each other because all of them have different goals. The the actual bio kind of energetics of, that, of the their positions are different. Outfielders obviously have to move in more space, reach higher speeds, that kind of thing. First and third basemen have less movement. Again, they're bigger, stronger, usually more powerful athletes uh, compared to middle infielders, so they're gonna be, their programs will be different. Um, that being said, like I said, the first thing, we, we individualize our programs to, to the athlete, to the individual athlete. And so just because we might have two center fielders may not mean they have the same – programs because one center fielder might need speed other one might be fast and might need a little bit more strength hypertrophy or weight gain in their program one center fielder might have uh, a past injury history of a torn acl or sprained ankles or a, you know bum shoulder so those things will always trump 
the position. So we in, we program to the individual because their past injury history will dictate what we can what we can provide to them. Um, you know, if they're a freshman versus a senior, that will differ. Even if they play the same position, that will differ because they're based on their past training experience. Um, one athlete might be really tight and muscle bound or restrictive. Um, we're going to change what they do compared to an athlete that maybe is uh, lacks lacks uh, kind of lacks mobility or is really hypermobile, where they may maybe need more stability and more strength compared to the other athletes. So it comes down to the individual athlete more so than the position that they play. And you mentioned Coach Spain before. One thing I've noticed about great teams, great programs is they surround themselves with great people that they believe in and they say, I hired you to do this. I'm not going to look over your shoulder. I'm not going to micromanage you. Go do what I hired you to do, which gets me to my last question before we get to the seventh inning stretch, which is audience-driven questions. You have gotten a plug on almost every show from guests, and you are one of the most frequent interview requests that I get from people. You've even inspired a few athletes in Dubuque to go into the field of kinesiology. What is it about you and what is it about the programs at BBA that get people into the door and keep them coming back? Woo, Nick, big one there, huh? I, I, I don't quite know. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, first and foremost, getting the athletes in the door would be our results. I think we, we get really good results, and we are passionate about getting our athletes to see results in their, in their field. So that's that's probably the, the first thing. Secondly, again, I'm I'm pretty um, realistic with my athletes. I like to have fun. I have a sense of humor. I'm pretty authentic. I'd like to hope my athletes know that I'm pretty damn honest with them. Um, I think they can appreciate that and respect that. That I'm pretty authentic. I come in, you know, who I am each and every day. I'm passionate about what I do, but I'm honest. Very, I'm sometimes brutally honest with my athletes about whether it be their their effort, their attitude, their, their performance. And I think athletes appreciate that. Um, outside of that, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I, you know, we just kind of keep doing what we're doing. But I've always, since day one, the main thing I've been worried about is getting our athletes better and the results. I'm not a big advertiser. I don't, you know, um, ask my athletes to give any shout outs. I don't ask for any of those things. But I've always believed that if we give our athletes a, a wonderful experience and they see the results, um, and they love coming in, they have fun, they're engaged coming in, and they know that we care about them. That, that that will be all the word of mouth, and that's all we need to build the business. And that's all I've done for now seven seven years. And so uh, we're going to continue to be passionate about getting our athletes better, caring about them, caring about them, A, as a person, much more than the athlete, um, but caring them for them as a person, um, wanting the best for them, again, not only as an athlete, but as they move on in their careers. And that's been really a cool thing for me. You know, Andrew Redmond's one of them where, you know, he started as a, a college junior, when I first worked with him back in 2013 and now here he is, um, you know, went to his wedding last year and seen him as a successful coach in the, in the area and just continue to work with him day in, day out, seeing these, you know, athletes that worked with him, whether it be middle school, high school, or college, and now starting families, going on with their professional careers, seeing them grow and develop into adults. Um, that's the fun part, seeing them grow as a person, you know, understand that they are people first, athletes second. 
They say that the best form of advertising is word of mouth, and you have gotten that. And if it wasn't for Michael Zawiefel of BBA, Andrew Redman would not be able to go out and throw 10 innings in a semi-pro game and throw 148 pitches and lose uh, one to nothing. Now, next is our seventh inning stretch segment of the podcast, which is audience-driven questions. Sit back and enjoy. The first question in the seventh inning stretch segment comes from a family that I know you've worked with a lot of athletes, Chad Crable, sometimes co-host of the show. And he asks you, what are your favorite athletes to work with? Is it the youth? Is it the high school, college, professional, and why? Great question by Chad. Yeah, Chad, Chad, uh, another great, great kid. Um, now a police officer. Again, I worked with him in college. Um, he had some shoulder issues. And actually, his funny story, about two years ago, Chad pulled me over as I pulled into my house because my, <laughs> my license was expired or my license date. And he, he pulled me over and said, you got to get that renewed. I go, oh, I thought my wife did that. <laughs> but Chad, great question. Great, great kid. And I know he still plays for Key West, I believe, correct? Yeah, he needs to go back in and see you because I went and saw him play a couple <laughs> weeks ago and he didn't throw a single base runner out. I think uh, Cascade was three for three and stealing off him. Hey, blame the pitcher, right? Blame the pitcher. <laughs> um, but yeah, what's my favorite group to work with? Oh, man, you know what? I probably have a little bit of uh, um, ADHD. And so I what I love about my job is I get to work with all those different populations because – Honestly, sometimes when I get the same group, say college athletes over and over again, I kind of get bored. So I like the, the, the change-ups of having a youth session and then having middle school kids and then having high school kids, college kids, professionals, adults, because each of them bring their own kind of unique atmosphere and perspective, and they change the way I got to coach. And so I like that, that con- continuous change. So I don't really have a favorite, um, to be honest with you. Um, what I'm passionate about is youth. I really like the youth. I know <clears> – <throat> probably people are expecting me to say like, you know, we have a handful of professional kids, professional players, you know, and those people are fun, you know, and we, you know, high level kids in the area that we work with, the, the people probably expect me to say those would be the athletes, the high level ones that are going to play division one, power five, are going to get drafted or playing already playing professionally. And those are fun. They give you some recognition, but the youth is where I'm pretty passionate about because that's where the, I think the best coaches should be. That's where the most important time, in athletes' lives is, is that youth development. And sadly, I see a lot of young athletes kind of destroyed by poor youth coaches because typically it's just parents or volunteers. And bless, don't get me wrong, they're trying their best, but they're not nuanced in the science. They're not nuanced in kind of youth uh, uh, developments um, and motor learning and behavior, that kind of thing. So I'm really passionate about the youth because I think, again, going back to what you had questions earlier, all the high performers that I've ever had if I track back the years and peel back the layers on their youth, they had a very good um, positive influence and in coaches during the youth that inspired them and motivated them and sparked that, that ignition of, of playing a certain sport. And so I think the youth is really where the most powerful uh, coaching is done because that's where I think it all starts. And so while they can be difficult and they can, they make my hair go gray and they, they test you, their patience, um, understand that that is where I think, um, 
we need the best coaches and people to give back to the youth populations because that is where, again, that ignition is ignited for, for long-term growth. Andrew Redman, you heard it here. Work on your slide step because Michael Zawiefel said the only reason that Chad Crable isn't throwing any base runners out is because the pitcher. And that was you that night that I went to see throwing. Now, last question comes from a guy I think you might know, and I think you might know his son. Goes by the name of Scott Harris. And he wants to know, who is the best athlete in your house? Is it you or your wife, Jen? Yeah, I saw that Scott asked that question, and uh, Scott's a good friend, and I think he he asked me this about once a month, and it's obviously my wife. My wife was a college basketball player, much better looking, much better athlete. Um, our, our daughter's just about six months old. Hopefully, she gets all of her genetics, because if she has mine, she's, she's in for a long life, but Scott, you heard it here on, on this podcast, my wife, much better athlete. Michael Zawiefel, thank you for joining us on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Stick around for closing time. We know when we hear Mariano Rivera's music in the background, the podcast is coming to an end, just like the game did when he entered. Stick around for closing time. It's become tradition at the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast to give our guest, Mike Zawiefel, a cheesy baseball-related nickname and give him the floor uninterrupted for whatever he would like to talk about. We are going to get in the zone with Zawiefel. Michael, thanks for being a guest. The floor is yours. Yeah, so I guess to, to all athletes out there, I guess... What I'd like to hopefully get across is that understand that you guys, all of you, young boys and girls, are much more than than an athlete. Um, and I see this with some college athletes and myself. You know, I was Michael, the football player, Michael, the athlete, and all of a sudden, again, like a like a window shutting down real quick. My 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 career um, was over, and now my athletic career is over. And now, now who am I? I was Michael, the football player, the athlete. Now what? And so encourage you guys all that you guys are much more than, than an athlete. You guys are much more than a certain sport player. So understand that, you know, find things that you're passionate about. And the sooner you guys realize that, the sooner you realize that, you know, you, who you are is, is much deeper and, and wider than just a purely an athlete, the better off. And so don't tie your identity to your performance. Don't tie your identity to how you perform on a field or a certain sport. You're much more than that. So you're much more than so-and-so, the baseball player, you are so-and-so the person that's active, that's passionate about this or passionate about that. Um, so find things that you – hobbies and, and goals and things that you are genuinely passionate about because you're much more than an athlete. Um, I wish I would have uh, realized at a younger age, so I was in 24 years old and done with my professional career and thinking, now what? I, I was a f- football guy for, for 24 years. Now what do I do with my life? Um, you are much more than an athlete. Um, so think about that. And understand who you're appreciated far beyond you as your performance on the field or you as an athlete. But you as a person is what's more important, most important. One last thank you to Michael Zawiefel of Building Better Athletes, also known as BBA, for joining us in the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. If you haven't already 
please go patronize his business. He's doing a great thing. In the last segment, which is called Minute with Manaman, I would like to thank Michael Zawiefel for everything that he's done. But he did say something in this interview that really stuck out to me. And parents, I want you to listen to this. He said that he is realistic with all of his athletes. In coaching, and sometimes in this area, I have seen parents come to me and say, well, you have him batting eighth. For his travel team, his travel coach bats him fourth. His travel coach tells me that he should be batting fourth for your team. Or my son went to this private instructor and he said that you should be, he should be your number one starter. So Michael, I want to thank you for being honest with your athletes and with your families. Parents, stop that. You don't have an opinion on that until you've gone to every practice, every game, every workout, Every weight training session, you don't have your opinion. We have the opinion. So whatever the private instructor says, whatever the travel team coach says, that's great that they have their opinions. They have theirs. They use it on their travel team. Us as coaches, we are making the best decisions for athletes and the best decisions for teams in what it takes to win the game. So Michael, thank you for being honest with your athletes and their families. And parents, stop going to your high school coaches and telling us what they did in the independent league. Stop telling us what their travel coach says about them. Stop telling us what their private instructor tells us about them. We're certified, we're trained. We are making the best decisions for the baseball team and the baseball program. 6-4-3, we're out of here. Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media. Facebook and Instagram by searching Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe. <laughs>